Good morning. Good morning. That is not as busy for you as it is for me today. I would like to reintroduce you to an ancient and time-tested practice of Christian worship, which I introduced to you not so long ago. It's something we may have been forgotten. Uh, we may have forgotten all the time because we've become enthralled with technology. But it might be something that uh, you don't do, or it might be something you do, I don't know. But I'd like to reintroduce you to the book called The Bible. And the way I want to introduce that to you is I want to point out to you that in the computer apps in front of you, there's a reddish colored book that is the Bible, and you can take that out. And third page, 814. We're going to be reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, page 814, beginning at verse 16. That evening, Jesus' disciples went to the shore to wait for him. But as darkness fell and Jesus still hadn't come back, they got into the boat and headed across the lake to Capernaum. Soon a gale swept down upon them and the sea grew very rough. They had rowed three or four miles when suddenly they saw Jesus walking on the water towards the boat. They were terrified. But he called out to them, Don't be afraid, I am here. Then they were eager to let him in the boat, and immediately they arrived at their destination. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the far shore saw that the disciples had taken the only boat, and they realized Jesus had not gone with them. Several boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread, and the people had eaten. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went across to Capernaum to look for him. Now I want to introduce you to another second aspect of ancient worship, and that is keep your finger in that place and flip back over to the Gospel of Matthew, page 746. We're just going to add a little bit to this story by reading the same account in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, verses 28 to 31. Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you, Walk on the, walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat, and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why do you doubt me? Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, for you are our God, our rock, When Rick sent me this passage uh, for the sermon today, uh, he added a little note. He said, uh, and no practical illustrations are necessary. And I was just reading the email, and I didn't look it up, so I just wrote him back, okay. So the joke was on me, because I hadn't read it. 
It led me to a good laugh, you know, he, he got one on me, Rick is away, so you can cut all this out of the recording and so he doesn't know what I said. It was a joke, come on, listen to people. <laughs> it led to a good laugh, but it also led me to another question, why did Jesus walk on the water? Now, this is a miracle, that those who struggle with miracles of faith in life have a difficult time rationalizing. Of course, Mysteries are not to be rationalized, although in the bigger picture they're certainly to be dwelled on, maybe studied. They are basically mysteries. They are, in this case, a miracle. So as we look at this account of Jesus' involvement with his people, he steps outside the common reality of life to break into the life of those who need him. Let's think about it. He stepped out of the common reality of life to break into the lives of those need him. We need him. Just as the people sought him here, in both of these accounts, they wanted him, actually, if you read the story further, they wanted him to be their king. But just as the disciples looked to him and sought him, so too, we need him. We need him in the same way and in the same reasons that his disciples did in this story. And we also need to look at Peter's actions and learn from them. So today I want to look at the people which surround this story, the crowds, the disciples, and Peter. <coughs> Each of these three were invested in Jesus in a different way. Now this comes just after the story of the feeding of the 5,000 with a few fish and a bit of bread. And now the people were seeking Jesus to be their king. And they were seeking him for the wrong reasons. They wanted him to be their king. And Jesus knew that. So he wanted to get away. This desire to make Jesus their king was interesting. And it parallels what we often sometimes have the tendency to do today. We want Jesus to be that person we want him to be. And in some cases, we think Jesus is what others have made him out to be for us. And there's a reason behind this. And for those of you who are newer to English, I want you to know that I'm going to be using some big words, something I think I never like to do, you know? Why replace a one-syllable word with a seven-syllable Why not replace the one-syllable word with a seven-syllable word? But I'll explain this to you. What we do with Jesus is exactly the same as these people attempt to do often. We want him, we want to make him into what we want him to be. We call this, in my mind and in my circles of conversation, commodification. And a commodity is something that we might be able to purchase at a store because we want it. It might be groceries. It might be English grammar books. It might even be Bibles that are advertised. It is something that is produced in a manner that we think we ought to have it for us. Jesus was being looked at by these people for them to make him their king. But he, they were not seeing him for who he truly was and is. And it's, it, it's an act of pure self-centeredness. But it's an act that needs to be explained. You see, these people, at this point, the crowds that were still pursuing Jesus, were immature in their faith and their understanding of Jesus 
and strangely their understanding of the scriptures because as a Jewish community, they would understand the teachings of the Old Testament related to the Messiah. And as we read through the New Testament, or the Gospels rather, we know how frustrating it is to read it and see they continually missed who Jesus was. So here the teachings that they would have had about the Messiah and this person that was coming would have been pushed aside because again, they wanted the miracle worker to be their king. They didn't think through who he was and why he did what he did. Now, I don't know if I've told this story in this church, but I kind of relate to these people when I was younger. Uh, my parents, of course, had gone home to the Lord, and so have most of their friends and most of their relatives. And um, when we left Duncan to move to Victoria, or actually moved to Vancouver, one of the last things that was said by one of my mom's longtime friends, my mom had died before that, but one of my longtime friends was, don't jump off the roof of the umbrella. Now you're looking at me kind of strange. What that means, when I was a young kid, I had this, I loved to jump off anything that was high. Right? Uh, this knee shows that, but never mind. Um, and I managed, when I was young, to get my mother's umbrella to crawl up on this roof that I'd never been able to reach, the garage roof before, which would be, Oh, probably as high as, it doesn't really matter, it's a stupid thing to do. And so I, I got up there, and I, I looked down, and I went, okay, and I jumped. Right? And I, well, I remember this, I remember this distinct, I don't remember much, but I remember this. I remember that sound, right? And then I also remember that sound, and that second one wasn't as good. Because it was, and I ended up lying on a pile of boards, and of course, back then, it wasn't Facebook or email, it was my mom, it was the phone. And my mom got on the phone, and called all of her friends and said, guess what Jackie's just done? So everybody knew that this kid jumped off the roof with an umbrella. And I never understood it because it works on cartoons. <laughs> uh, anyways, I'm going to hear more about that from you, I'm sure, for the rest of my life. But... And actually, when we're thinking about God in that same way, and how we get a little bit impetuous and do these sorts of things, when we sort of confine into what we think, the way these people were looking at it, to not really thinking through who he was, we anthropomorphize God. I've wanted to use that word for so long. Anthropomorphize God. It means that we take what God did in Christ, in this miracle, in this particular case of feeding thousands of people, and lower him to something that we can use for our reasons, our own reasons. It means we create God in our mind. That's essentially what the word means. It's a domesticating of God. It's making him a household God in many, many ways. You know, you can domesticate dogs, and I think that's a good idea, and, uh, and you know where this is going, and you can take my cat and domesticate it at your home, I don't want it. <laughs> but we need to be, so we need to be gracious and compassionate towards these people, because whatever faith they might have had in Jesus at this point, it was just the beginning part of experiencing that faith. Well, for some of us, me included, who have been long-time Christians, commodifying Jesus is inexcusable. He is not for us to use. We are not to state our view of our faith and then line up a bunch of proof texts to prove why I'm right when you're wrong. We are His because of what He did on the cross and because we have surrendered our lives to Him. 
And that surrender is a constant challenge to us as it was to his disciples because we want Jesus to do things our way. And that just doesn't work. I think that's why I feel at home when I read about the disciples because I'm just as goofy in my faith as they are. They are at times, there are times in my life when things weigh heavily on my heart. And there are times that that happens. I don't pretend that. And these can be uninvited episodes as you're watching your friends suffer or family suffer. Or they could be invited episodes because, well, you jump off the roof with an umbrella. You know, whatever it is. We make, tend to make that assumption about God through these life events. So that's why I relate to these disciples. I would feel exactly the same way. But in this story and circumstances, it's very dramatic. It's even life-threatening. In their circumstances, on that water, they were truly frightened. There they were in a boat in a storm, and they were trying to get to shore. And it is interesting where their minds go when all of this thing opens up before them. We would be the same. Automatically, you go to the fear because you're unsure of what's going on. And our minds go in the wrong directions. And this is one of the things that this sign of our Lord helps us with. In the middle of their struggle, Jesus walks on the water to the boat. Now, to me, that's almost funny. Yeah? They're rowing, and all of a sudden they look up, and Jesus is walking on the water. And at the heart of this sign, we see that Jesus does not abandon his disciples. And this is crucial. That's what this sign is all about. He does not abandon his followers. But they had to struggle in the storm. And it's the same for us. We may not be out on Lake, Lake Winnipeg in a storm, but as we get to know each other, all of us have storms of varying degrees in our lives. In these storms, we tend to revert to our old ways of thinking of how we ought to resolve the issue on our own. Now we see the same in the account of Matthew. Matthew is just a little bit fuller account of this, this episode in their lives with the addition of Peter. In Matthew, they thought Jesus was a ghost. And in John, they just said they were frightened. But they stated in Matthew, they thought he was a ghost. But in either circumstances, to say the least, they were in a difficult situation. But their minds first went to fear and supposition based upon the old way of thinking. Now you can imagine this. Seeing a ghost as a fisherman. That would have been something of folklore. I have no doubt, it's not in the text, but I have no doubt that those would be the stories told around the shore of those bad days rowing out there and someone saw a ghost, blah, 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 we all went back safe, right? But no doubt other fishermen would have told these stories about these visions. And the disciples now thought that it was their turn to see this spirit, which is probably not good news. So the disciples, instead of gathering their thoughts and asking some rational questions, such as, we need to be the better judgment assumed upon what they saw and what they were fearing, you know, which let us sit down and have a church committee meeting to see if this is really something we should be frightened of. That's a joke. 
At that moment, instead of collecting their thoughts the way we in the West like to do in a rational way, they lost their courage. Only after Jesus had identified himself and told them not to be afraid did they let him in the boat. That's funny to me, too. But it is funny to me, right? But it's also, I relate to that. He says, fear not, okay, you're okay. Because they didn't know what was going on. However, before that moment, when Jesus got in the boat, Peter did something totally irrational and totally fearless. He stepped out of the boat, into the water, onto the water. And I find this bizarre. Peter knew that if he was prepared to step out of the boat, he too could walk to Jesus. Somehow he knew that. So he did. And in that moment, we see one person who had the courage to take the step of faith, regardless of the outcome. I have a hunch I'd be in the back of the boat with the church committee deciding if it's a wise thing for Peter to step out of the boat. But no, he just goes and does it. He broke all the rules, Peter did. And in my life and in my ministry, I've had many, many conversations about faith versus logic and faith versus science and faith versus rational thinking. Or the Christian belief versus other beliefs. Sometimes these are weak. And it's constant. It's a constant because I work with highly educated people. Now, if you were in my home church right about now, you wouldn't understand how funny that is. I left my home church to get my education and finished it 30 years later. Best four-year degree I ever had. <laughs> but recently I spent an hour, actually a little longer than that, because I just had another hour with the same, same gentleman, defending and presenting the gospel to someone who wanted to challenge my knowledge and my faith and challenge the verifiability and the authority of Scripture and of Jesus. By the way, he didn't win because that moment that that word logic came up within that conversation was the moment that I could understand that he could go a little bit further in his views. See, I like to enjoy telling people in this particular case that God created logic, which of course he agrees. I said, then God begins beyond that, which he agreed. Uh, I remember saying this to a group of people who were very quite, really quite right. I said, well, think about it this way. God created time. You just see the gears working. God created. We didn't. Beyond all of this is God. See, God created logic. We agreed. Therefore, it's beyond that. We agreed with that. And I stress then, as I do now, my faith begins with God who is beyond, yet deeply and intimately interested in me and you and the person to whom I'm speaking through Jesus Christ. And that's news to a lot of they can agree to a God that's beyond, but they have struggles with the God that's intimately interested in you or I. And that is what the Bible tells us all the way through. This aspect of faith is exactly where Peter's courage came from. He stepped out of the boat in faith and with courage and walked on the water. We're called to do the same. Every one of us, 
teaching of this sign that Jesus gives you and I, we are invited to step out of the boat. Now, if you ever have a long conversation with me about my theology and philosophical convictions about life, faith, church, and, and, and you will hear me speak with despair about the plethora, the excessive amount of publications that are offered that we tend to go to first because we think, although they're intended to be good, and they are, we'll take that away from any of the authors. We go to the first, which is a bad one, because the scripture is where we're to go to first. And instead of looking to the scriptures, we're looking to the secondary readings and we cling to them. We sit in the bond, pointing at Jesus like he's a ghost, fearfully, and only after we are certain of who he is will we allow him to come into our boat. We do this instead of trusting him and his holy word. We do this instead of what Peter did. Peter went to him. So you see, we watch where we step. Instead of heeding the call to step outside the boat, whatever that is for you, Peter, in all of his flawed, impetuous, impatient, bark is worse than you might speak, humbles us all. You step out of the boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was there to keep him safe. Jesus invited him to do it. And when he fumbled, he looked around as we would, he began to see, you know, three or four steps of the boat, he looks around, he goes, I have no life jacket and it's really stormy, now I am scared. He goes down. He sinks, and Jesus brings him up. Then he said to Peter, you of little faith. What is he saying? Is he not asking us, he is not really asking us to qualify or quantify our faith. He is saying, trust me totally. This sign demonstrates that Jesus will not leave us or abandon us ever. But we have to think through, are we comfortable in the boat, in our fear, or are we prepared to step outside that boat and walk with our Lord? Now, whatever boat you're in is a different boat than I am in, so I want to make sure that that's clear. I'm not saying do as I do, or I'm not saying I should do as you do. I'm saying we're in a boat. We can step out. Peter did. And he walked on the water. So I want to encourage us all. Jesus did this sign not just to walk on water, but to show that he is always with us. So I encourage you to get overboard. Stop tying ourselves to the temporal, to the earthly, to the, to the daily things we're so secure with, and hear and walk towards the call of Jesus. And when you take that step, you will leave behind your idea of how Jesus can serve you. Which is, in my mind, the increasing infection in the North American church. We're so busy wanting him to be our buddy instead of understanding who he truly is. So if we hold to these ideas, then we cling to the side and we stay in the boat. That is what people were doing when they wanted Jesus to be their king. That's why they were pursuing him. It would be a good idea, they thought. They wanted to make him 
what they wanted him to be. Instead, Peter showed us all. He had the courage to step out of the boat, away from his fears, away from his insecurity. Granted, he got frightened after a few steps. And that is what we understand in the disciples' reactions to their circumstances and to seeing Jesus in the water. They let him in only after he assured them of who he was, or unless they could prove who he was. And we can cling to the same ways that the world brings us, which teaches us to cling to those things, or we can cling to the things that fear brings us, or we can get out of the boat. I think this sign is inviting us to take the same step. Because even as Jesus, even as Peter sank, Jesus held him up. The sign that Jesus gives us here reveals a great deal of who we are and who we are not. I have no doubt that the disciples were followers of Jesus. The Bible makes that clear. Except for Judas, who was the bad egg. I have little doubt that many or most of you here are followers of Jesus. Your presence here makes that clear. Some of you might be searching or being introduced to this for the first time, and you're welcome to come here. You're welcome to do it, ask any question you want of me. That doesn't mean I'm brilliant, trust me. I raised three daughters, and they assured me that I was not brilliant. It just means I'll talk to you. However, it is always easier to stand together inside the boat. Because that's where it's safe. Rather than stepping out of it. When Jesus says, come to me. It is not about watching where you step. When you are fearful in faith. It is about stepping out. Because Jesus invites you. He invites you because he will not abandon you. So wherever you are. Let's get out of the boat.